We can't all be Insta-famous. Welcome to the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. Today's guest is Emily Friedman from Brain Exchange and Augmented World Expo. Emily Friedman is a New York-based enterprise immersive, wearable, and emerging technology advocate, journalist, and facilitator. She is head of content and the lead writer at Brain Exchange, lead journalist, and senior editor at Enterprise Wear Blog, and head of marketing and communications for Augmented World Expo USA and AWE EU. To learn more about Brain Exchange, you can visit brainxchange.com. That's brain with an X and then change, C-H-A-N-G-E.com. And if you want to learn more about AWE or Augmented World Expo, you can visit awexr.com. Welcome to the show, Emily. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I've been really looking forward to this conversation because you are writing every day, uh, or not every day, but a couple times a week on the enterprise uh, wearables world. So maybe uh, just kind of give us an overview of what is Brain Exchange and AWE. Let's start with that. Okay. I wish I were productive enough to write multiple articles a week, but uh, there's a lot going on. Brain Exchange, we started out as a boutique events company, and we just happened to enter augmented reality at the right time. It was 2015, right after Google Glass, quote unquote, failed. And there were all these headlines, glass hole articles. But if you read between the lines, uh, it was clear that smart glasses weren't a failure and that enterprises were actually finding like good use cases for it. So today, we provide events, content, and other services all related to facilitating enterprise XR. You know, I've been to AWE a couple of times now. I, I led the startup track this year. It's an important conference for virtual augmented mixed reality. And some may say it's the most important conference. It's where everybody around the world gathers. And, and I made this comment that if the building happened to collapse, basically the entire VR world would cease to exist and we'd have to start over again. It was an amazing collection of some of the world's smartest people working in this technology. And enterprise, they seem to be really driving this technology forward. What are you seeing? Well, as for AWE, I think it's a very important benchmarking event. Like you said, the entire industry gets together at that one point. What we're seeing, and the reason we gravitated towards enterprise at first, is that that's where the money is. I mean, that's where the money is to be made, both for end users and the ARVR companies themselves. At the end of the day, we cater to the enterprises and we talk to them every day. We get on the phone with Fortune 500 companies, the innovation people, and all these different companies every day and we listen to their pain points. ARVR happens to offer a solution to a lot of their pain points. So what are some of the pain points? Let's unpack that. Um, Huge one is a shrinking workforce. Mm -hmm. That creates this need to train faster, better. So... As the workforce ages in manufacturing, I think the average age is like 40 to 50 now, and retires, not only do you need to attract new talent, you need to train them. As a millennial, this is actually pretty important to me. Learning a skill today just doesn't get you as far as it did half a century ago. Tech advances, business models change, and much of what I learned in school, I feel like it's irrelevant. And for Gen Z, it's going to be worse. So the ability to learn new skills effectively, to upscale, to rescale, 
is really important. Another one is remote support. Those are probably the two most like enthusiastic applications today. Remote support was one of the earlier ones, just being able to connect your team remotely. A uh, lone worker in the field, say a field service company's fixing an air conditioner, can access talent experts at a home office and give them a view of what they're seeing. And that's just really powerful. Awesome. So remote support, for example, what is the problem? What is the underlying problem? Because one of the things you, you mentioned is attract and train new talent. I think the key is that attract because kids today, they're waking up in the morning, they're opening Instagram and they're like, I want to be an Instagram celebrity. <laughs> we can't all be Insta famous, but there's a lot of jobs that are in trades that are great, good paying jobs that young people just aren't, maybe they're not even aware of it or they just don't care. I know a lot of parents push their kids to go to university, even though that if you look at university now, we've got a trillion and a half dollars in debt in the US from student debt. So trades are a real value to the economy. And how do you attract and excite people about those jobs? So as for the field service remote support question, the pain point there is time. So not having to do the job twice. You send one person out and then you need to send another person out to help that first person. As far as the trades, I think our education system hasn't really kept up with the economy, like the actual workplace and what's necessary. It's actually almost impossible for education systems. If you look at the way they were designed, they were designed not to change. They were designed to be steadfast in the face of change. And that, unfortunately when you enter into exponential growth phase of humanity, this becomes a real problem. Exactly. So I think that it's both. It's that they're not learning the skills they might need. And by the way, trades jobs don't have to be manual. They're not low skill, they're high skill, and they're now often involving technology. Oh, absolutely. In that way, I think our education system hasn't kept up. And I think you're right. My generation, we're not aware of the trades. And I think skilled trades training has dropped off a lot. Yeah, we're seeing, starting to see some, some new technologies like VR and AR that are starting to bridge that gap. There's a couple companies making some really interesting headway in virtual reality training. And I've tried a few of them. Pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, one having appealing technology like AR, VR is definitely a tractor. There's the other side of this, the other coin, which is that Older workers don't have to retire now that there's AR and VR because they're still valuable to the organization, even if they can't go onto the factory floor or out into the field. I think there's both sides of that, and it's really important to cater VR training and adopting AR in order to collect and record all the inborn talent in your company and also to share that with new workers and help them learn fast. I had a chance to try this at PTC Liveworks recently. I put on a, a real where it's basically like a heads up display. It's like having a tablet a foot from your face and it, it bends out of the way when you don't need it. You just flip it up. And I was standing at a tractor. I pulled down the thing and it walked me step by step how to change an air filter. And I, I've never touched a tractor ever. Like I don't know anything about a tractor. I was able to remove the air filter, check it, change it, replace it close it back up and it was ready to go. And it was interesting because what I was watching wasn't some crazy AR overlay. What it was, was just a video that was captured by an expert. 
on the same device that I was wearing to see it. It was impressive. I mean, it can be as simple as arrows in your field of view. Yeah. There's a range from assisted reality all the way through mixed reality. RealWare is a great example. They've had some really large rollouts, which I think is such a great sign for the space. And they're going to be at EWTS. Colgate, for example. I think BMW recently just rolled out RealWare devices to a bunch of its plants. So these they're growing. And definitely the companies have matured. I think we're at third, fourth generation devices at this point. And the software has matured. Absolutely. I saw uh, something, a couple, I think, three years ago at AWE, and it, it was a, um, a pick and pack type of thing. We put on the glasses and it walks you through picking things off a shelf for distribution warehouses. And it was really bad. Uh, it was laggy. It didn't work. It was kind of crappy. And fast forward this year, oh my God, it was like millimeter accurate. It was just intuitive. We've come a long way in a very, very short amount of time, which I guess that lends itself to the word exponential growth. Yeah. And I think EWTS offers this opportunity. From the start, we've kind of curated the sponsors, the exhibitors at the event, making sure that they have solutions that are ready to go today. I think it's really valuable for them to hear real end users, real enterprise end users on stage sharing their experiences, good and bad, about their technology. And I think it's helped move some of that user experience issues, ergonomics issues forward. So you you mentioned EWTS, Enterprise Wearable Technology Summit in Dallas, Texas, correct? Uh Uh-huh. So who are some of the companies that are going to be attending this? Well, it's really the Fortune 1000 makes up our audience. It's primarily heavily enterprise for the audience, few solution providers. But it's been growing every year. Like you said, exponential growth. We have veteran speakers at this point who return year after year to give us updates about their experiences. Peggy Gulick from Agco, Janelle Haynes from John Deere, Josh Shabtai from Lowe's, Gary Binstock from Colgate, who's using Realware, Dan Jost from Molson Coors is returning this year. And it's across the industry spectrum, like every industry, pretty much. I'm looking at the speaker list here. It's incredible. So if you want to know uh, more about this, it's brainexchange.com and just look for EWTS or just Google Enterprise Wearable Technology Summit. And it's been fascinating to have this point of view, to come at it from the enterprise point of view and really speaking with the enterprises every day. So Duke Energy has been with us since the beginning, Boeing as well. And so to see some of these become large rollouts, thousands of devices, in Walmart's case, hundreds of thousands of devices, or standard work tools like they are at DHL, that's just standard, what you're saying, pick and pack software on smart glasses, that's standard for them now. Wow. And to see that is just such a a wonderful thing. It's interesting how it goes from being this fringe technology to industry standard. Yeah. And it's interesting that our event has remained cross industry. We do tracks by industry, but right now there's only a certain number of, like ARVR has a certain number of applications. And I think every business has a component that it applies to. So whether that's heads up, hands free information, remote expert, visualization, training, sales, that's pretty cross the board. So I think this ability to network and learn from other companies that are starting to bring this into their company is really helping a lot. Absolutely. You you mentioned different kind of 
aspects of this. And, and it looks like it's every industry. You've got Pfizer, you've got Agco, Agricultural, Lowe's, Retail, Dow, Chemical, uh, Wayfair, Retail again. So what are the ways these technologies, are they typically in the enterprise? Or is this something that they're, they're using in their warehouses? Is it something they're using to train? Is it something they're using for marketing? Uh, or are you seeing any one company that's kind of using it for everything? Is, is, or is it just kind of siloed right now still? Well, all of the above (laughs) companies are using this for sales and marketing. And that's actually not something that was very prevalent a few years ago. It was really heavy on field services, utilities, logistics, but it's now coming into sales and marketing. As consumers right now, we don't really have access to AR VR tech. There isn't really a great AR smart glasses for consumers out there right now. And VR is expensive for most people or they're unaware of it. The sales and marketing aspect allows companies to give their customers a taste of AR VR because they can afford it. That is kind of new, and that's definitely a new feature of our event. Like I said, we have veteran speakers, and some of those speakers are really, their use cases have evolved to multiple use cases. So I know Agco is using Google Glass all over. Really? How are they using that? I'm not sure, because that one's kind of new. In a lot of companies, this replaces the need for like going back and forth to a computer or looking down or picking up a book. It's really as simple as going hands-free. I think that's one of the most powerful aspects of wearables and smart glasses and VR headsets. It's interesting. There's companies doing this and the more they start to present their findings, the more it becomes a no-brainer for this technology. I believe it was Shelly Peterson from Lockheed Martin I'm not sure if she was one of your speakers, but... Oh, yeah, she spoke at AWE. That's right. Yeah, and she's also been with EWTS since the beginning. Brilliant mind. And one of the things that she mentioned at this year's AWE event was that they're seeing average 85% decreases in training times and 25 to 50% increases in retention rates. And this is incredible. Like, I don't know that there's any technology we've ever invented as humans that have that kind of impact on our bottom line. And on our productivity. Yeah, I think this is just really groundbreaking. This is the first time you get to put yourself in someone else's shoes for real. So whether that's putting yourself in another culture's shoes or a job that you're you're trying to learn, it's just so powerful, that firsthand experience. And those numbers that Shelly gave, they're not unique. Lots of companies are getting numbers like that. And it is really astonishing. But again, like I said, taking information out of people's hands and putting it in front of their face is just incredibly powerful. Yeah, it really is. And the devices themselves are getting better by leaps and bounds as well. There's a a bunch of new devices coming out every day and the, the field of view is getting better. The battery life is getting better. It's that exponential growth of, of hardware as well. And so I think it's this perfect storm of the timing being perfect for this technology to impact every business. It's a shame, kind of. I feel like every year, you know, has been the year of AR, VR. <laughs> We've been crying wolf a long time. Yeah, exactly. I think 2018 was a little disappointing in terms of the solutions themselves. I agree. This year was the first year I walked around AWE and was just so impressed with the level of the technology. This year is also EWTS's biggest expo. And we vet our exhibitors because we want these solutions to be ready to go. 
it helps that a lot of the big companies, HTC, Oculus, Lenovo, they're pivoting to enterprise. So it's just grown a lot. It's, it's really amazing to watch. My company, Metaverse, we've been in the business side of things. We've done that from day one. We looked at the business applications of this technology first and foremost, because the way I looked at it is like, okay, this isn't like a cell phone where it's easy to put in everybody's pocket and scale. And this is something that's going to require a, a use case that you don't mind looking like an idiot with these glasses on your head. Right. We'll go back four years, the glasses were huge and they were connected to computers and they just weren't something that would scale. And even the HoloLens, I mean, HoloLens 1 is a great device, but man, you wouldn't want to wear that all day. But for an application specific, I need to uh, look at this machine, fix this machine, get in and out quickly. That is a powerful, powerful piece of equipment. And everybody goes, oh, $3,500. It's too expensive. It's never going to be a consumer hit. It shouldn't be a consumer hit. It should be something that is used by enterprise because $3,500 to outfit a factory with one or two or 10 of these devices is a drop in the bucket to the downtime caused when these machines, these big manufacturing machines are down. If you're down for a day, that's multi-millions of dollars in downtime. Exactly. And if this device can save that, then you're winning. Especially for an airline, having a plane out of permission is so costly. Time really is money in business. And while I don't think the use cases are really there for consumers yet, and the devices aren't quite there, although I was really impressed with Enreal's mixed reality glasses. Oh, those are great. But they're not out yet. So like, we're moving forward a little bit. But in enterprise, it's not just about getting inside of a machine and having these really powerful visual images that help you get to know what you're doing in front of you. It's also design, cutting down the design process. And I think it will unleash new creativity from designers, whether that's engineers, builders, products. I think being able to create your product in mixed reality is just going to have such an impact on that process. That's usually really long. I mean, if you think about a building project, there are so many stakeholders in a building project and not everybody understands the plans, especially if you're, if it's a public building and now you have to bring in people from local government, it's such an amazing way to quickly refine. It's like uh, testing out things or fine and go, fine and go and helping others to see what your vision is. We're seeing similar aspects in car companies, in aerospace and yeah. design. It's it's really incredible. And then you have companies like Spatial who are allowing people to collaborate in augmented reality or mixed reality in different spaces with people from around the world. Yeah, it's just an incredible time saver. And it's more powerful. It's It's easier to understand something that's in front of your face, something that you can experience. And it cuts down on physical models. That's really where the time saving is. Yeah. It's communication and those physical models. Being able to iterate, it takes so much less time. You don't need those physical products. You don't need to return to a plan and print something new or get everyone together again. It's just an incredible time saver. I also think for designers themselves, like I said, that it will unleash new forms of creativity. And I think this is important as product cycles get shorter. New products are coming out at a much faster rate, and there's a lot of connected products too. So I think this has all been just really great timing. I agree. I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because one of the articles that you wrote was talking about XR in HR yeah, or human resources. What are some of the things you're seeing in that? Because 
this is a totally different way to use this technology. So the technology doesn't change. You're still using VR, AR, MR, same glasses, same headsets, same production methods, but a completely different use case. Yeah, so this is still in the pilot phase. I don't think Fortune 500, 1000 companies are here yet. But I reason I wrote about it is it's just, again, this is the first time we've ever been able to step into someone else's shoes. You can form memories in VR. There's been tons of studies at Stanford. You can change behavior. For how long, I don't really know. And I'm looking forward to the studies that will be coming out in the future. It's just so powerful. And today, traditional HR, like sexual harassment training, unconscious bias training, it's just not effective. So you you talked about XR and and HR. There are companies working on this. There's a company, I think, called Uptail. I want to say Uptail. They've created this experience where you are an HR manager and you're talking to somebody. And then after you deliver your talk, you actually get to sit in the other person's eyes and look at yourself giving you the advice back. Exactly. What a powerful tool. Like other than video, you can record yourself in a video talking to a camera, but talking to another person and being able to sit in that person's eyes and watch yourself, your body language, your eye contact, everything. That's crazy. And it's also, again, a financial thing. Workplace discrimination costs businesses over $60 billion a year. Holy crap. McKinsey has predicted that we could add $12 trillion to the global GDP by simply advancing gender parity and diversity in the workplace. So I'm really hoping these XR startups that I'm seeing, Equal Reality, Vantage Point, Morgan Mercer is really inspiring. I really hope this becomes more standard. But again, there's a lot of studies in all aspects of using AR, VR for any kind of applications. There are studies that need to come out long-term effects? Does it really change your behavior? Can you be traumatized in VR? Can you be bullied in VR? There's a lot of work left to do, but I think XR for HR is such a promising application. I agree. One of the other, there's so many articles. If, if you're listening and you want to learn uh, you know, more about this stuff, Emily is a prolific writer and maybe you don't write once a week, but there is a lot of content here. One of them that I, I was reading was Home on the Range, VR range, immersive technology in residential retail. The reason why I picked up on that one is because we have a a program called XR Ignite, which uh, is a community hub and accelerator to connect startup studios and developers with corporate clients. And we were reviewing the applications this weekend and it's been amazing. First of all, we've had uh, over 130 applications in the last couple of weeks, but one of them was this home AR app where you can take a 3D CAD model of a, of a building, of a house, drop it in your space, and then you can walk around it. You can shrink it down to dollhouse size. You can have it as full size. You could literally see what your new house is going to look like and not only see it, but walk through it and do that all using your phone. And eventually it'll be a pair of glasses, but for now it's the device in everybody's pocket. And I thought that was just an incredible tool for visualizing real estate. So what other things have you seen? Well, so in terms of real estate, that was an early sales and marketing. Like real estate was pretty quick to this game. And I think one of the reasons is that there are CAD models. There is the CAD information. There is BIM. So they had more of a foundation to create VR and AR experiences. I know right now I'm looking for an apartment. I'm doing the hunt. I'm moving from Manhattan to Brooklyn and pictures are deceiving. So when it comes to 
luxury items or high ticket items, big ticket items, cars, luxury goods, an apartment, furniture, things that are hard to return or you can't return it, you get stuck in your lease for a year. This adds a whole new aspect that enables remote shopping for these kinds of things. One of the podcast interviews I did today was with uh, Mohammed Rajani from Macy's, mm-hmm. and they're using VR to give people the experience of seeing new furniture. And the stats that they're seeing are absolutely incredible. I mean, you'll have to check out the XR for Business podcast to find that link, but wow, the results are astronomically high, and they've rolled it out to over 100 stores now. Yeah, and Lowe's was pretty quick to that also. Yeah, Lowe's has been working on this for a long time. Wayfair speaking at our event. I love the Lowe's cases though, because it really gets at the providing AR VR to consumers at a time when they can't or won't buy it themselves. That's a gateway to consumer AR VR picking up. The chance to experience AR VR for yourself in a store to connect with the brand. I think there's it's going to help the exposure problem. A lot of people just haven't been exposed to AR VR. I agree. And, and I think I, I really love what Lowe's did with their training. I got to try it at, uh, oh, maybe it was AWE, but I got to try one of their training simulators and I was tiling a wall in a bathroom. You know, I had to mix the mortar and then I had to, I, in my brain, I've done that. I've actually tiled a wall. It may have been in virtual reality and I, I physically haven't really tiled a wall, but in my mind, I've done that. You formed a memory. I did. Yeah. <laughs> What's interesting also, there are workforce facing applications and customer facing applications. So Lowe's is one of those companies that's looking at this from all aspects. They really are. They, they've been working on this for a long time. I remember their original caves where they had these kind of markers all over the wall to track where you were in 3D space. They've come a long, long way since that. Yeah. And I think what it shows is that like your example, learning how to tile a wall, it democratizes knowledge and information. It's going to shift jobs, definitely. If you can look at a video and watch a tutorial in front of your face and fix your own sink, that's going to be one less job for the plumber. So it's interesting to see these shifts happening and how putting information in consumers' hands is really important. And that's actually a big part of real estate is putting the agent and the buyer or renter on the same level as far as being able to picture and experience real estate. Yeah, indeed. One of the articles that you wrote, and I think this cuts to the heart of why we're not seeing a wider adoption. I mean, you know, if you look at the Fortune 1000 companies that are coming to brain exchange events, these are the early adopters. Let's be honest. There's thousands and thousands of companies that haven't even tried AR in their factories. Yeah. One of the articles you wrote is building a culture of bottom-up innovation and how to get this adopted within a company. So what are some of the tips that you would give to people listening? How would they get started? How do they get that foot in the door to find those use cases to really develop that in internally or externally? So this is something that I've watched for five years. And this is a really, really strong suggestion. Start with your workforce. Go to the users right away. Oftentimes your end users, your workers have probably like created hacks for themselves to make their jobs easier that you've never considered. They know what their pain points are. They know what they wish. For big companies like GE, creating like an innovation hub or something where workers can come, everyday workers can come and try out new devices and they're allowed to submit ideas 
that's great. That is building a culture of bottom-up innovation, and it helps a lot with rollout. You're going to get less backlash from your employees. The other aspect of this, and this is something um, I learned from Ron Bellows at AIG, is a bottom-up culture also means that all departments kind of have to start working together. You know, traditionally, operations and IT are very separate. IT and HR are very separate. EHS, very separate. And I think what this does is it brings you together. Everybody's got to be at the table to make it work. I think one of the things that's really intriguing is um, the fact that the tools, uh, both hardware and software, are just getting so much easier to to use. Yeah. A few years ago, we were quoting things in the hundreds of thousands that now we can do for the tens of thousands. Yeah, definitely. And the costs are dropping. There's also now way more people around that can do it. That's another thing that's interesting is that now there are more people that know how to build this stuff. So it's not just 10 people around the world that understand how to make this. It's it's getting there. But I think there's going to be a shortage of talent as more and more companies realize we're getting 60% cheaper training or whatever, and we're going to ramp this up. So one of the reasons we started XR Ignite again was to help facilitate acquisitions of small studios into these because companies are going to want to do this fast and they're going to want to scale. We're already starting to see studios being acquired by Accenture and Walmart acquired a studio. And so there's not just the technology part of the hardware and the platforms, but also the studios that are creating the content. How is that relationship all working between platforms and studios and content providers and independent developers and all of that? So this is kind of one of the things I was talking about when it came to attracting new talent. Certain jobs are going away, but tech jobs are moving into the skilled trades. Needing content creation is a way to get younger professionals involved. As far as studios, AEC companies had it really easy because they had all that information, that data, the CAD models to start with. One of the biggest hurdles for companies is where to get the content. And if you've been using manuals, if you've been using computer spreadsheets and checklists, it's hard. That is really hard. So yeah, you do need a studio. But I think those applications are slightly easier to create than like training or something consumer facing. I'm hoping that as ARVR becomes more and more popular and the big companies, like they're creating tools that make it easier for developers or anyone to build ARVR experiences. Google has some easy tools. Mozilla has easy tools. And as the big companies come in, I think they'll probably have their own services as well, like the cloud. Yeah, I agree. And Microsoft is, has actually, it's interesting because the HoloLens was in their devices uh, division yeah. and they actually moved it last year over to cloud. So the HoloLens is now a cloud product, which is interesting when you, know, when you think it's a device, but it's really a device that enables their cloud is really what it enables. And I think that's where you're seeing the shift of, of like, wait a second, you know, these headsets are great, um, but they're just a tool to show data. And the amount of data that they consume or, or generate is enormous. It's got the teleco companies and the cloud computing companies salivating for what's next. Exactly. Because once you get to 4K TVs and and 8K TVs, what's next? And calculating spatial computing, being able to put everything into 3D, that is a huge amount of data. 
Yeah, and we're going to need consortiums, whether that's in the form of an an Amazon-type company or Google or Facebook stepping in. We're going to need that. I also see AR, VR devices like HoloLens is the way that the human being is brought into Industry 4.0. It's how we're connected to all this digital transformation and IoT that's going on. It's how we enter the cloud. So I think in addition to content creation, there are going to be a lot of data analytics jobs that are needed. Oh my goodness, it's going to be crazy. One of the things that uh, I heard at a conference once was based on eye tracking, head position, pose estimation, uh, how you move, how you, like they can even tell how you're breathing by the way your head moves. Because when you breathe, you kind of move very ever so slightly. We have sub-millimeter accuracy head tracking and eye tracking. We've never had that kind of data, no matter what we've done. We can study people left and right, but we've never been able to study them at that micro level until now. And one of the, the, the speakers said, Google will know that you're gay before you are because of what you look at. Yeah. It's an interesting thought, but what will this unlock when we know everything about the intent of a person before they do? Yeah, so not trying to get political, but our government really does need to enter the picture. I kind of operate in the fact that Google knows everything about me. But like you said, with wearable technology, putting things on our faces, the information that we're giving becomes way more personal and way more sensitive. There's, if there's good and bad to all of this, I think this is going to need policing. Facebook needs policing anyways. The other side is that we're learning things and changing assumptions we had in the past. So Accenture worked with Kellogg's, I think, on product placement. Mm-hmm. And they did this. They tracked like people's eyes and how their head moves. And they found that like everything they thought about where to put a cereal box in a grocery store was wrong. Wow. <laughs> so I think it opens up these great opportunities to like get more in touch with human behavior, but it's also creepy. (laughs) It definitely has this Orwellian feel to it that, wait a second, we've already given all of our data to Google. Let's be honest. I use Drive. I use Gmail. So they know everything about my buying habits. They know everything between Google and Amazon. They they probably know everything about me. We don't even go shopping anymore. Things just come (laughs) to the house. But they still don't know about my personal life. Well, I guess that we have a Google Home and an Alexa in our house, so I'm sure they do know about our personal life. The question becomes, do we trust them? And so far we do. Facebook being the one, they just got slapped with a $5 billion fine uh, because of privacy violations. Yeah. So I think governments really need to step in, especially in the age of AI, when you can, it's one thing to know this information about an individual it's another thing to act on it and, and to be able to take that information and, and make it relevant. Right now, I think we're still in that phase of we collect all this information, we shit tons of it, but to be honest, we can't use half of it because we don't even know how to process it. So while we're collecting data, there's huge amounts of data that we don't use. Companies, the age of big data a few years ago, oh, big data, we got to collect everything. And then they realized, oh my God, we collected all this data. We don't know what to do with it. So I think AI will will solve that problem, but also create some real privacy and security issues. It's also frightening to think about the fact that all this data we're collecting, if we run it through AI, they could be used to make major decisions that affect our lives. And we don't really understand the data right now. So I actually just read a really interesting book called Invisible Woman, a Data Bias in the World Designed for Men, I think. 
And one of the examples was Amazon created this AI tool for hiring. The information that they put into the system was the last 10 years of uh, resumes that were submitted to them. This was for a technical position, like a developer or something. What ended up happening was the system was biased against women because- The system was. Yeah, because the tech world is notoriously male dominant. And so if you're looking at the last 10 years, yeah, most of the resumes are going to be from men. So they had to shut it down. So there's there's things like that are, that are a little frightening to me. Policing is one thing, like, you know, policing our privacy and, and getting the government involved. Hacking is crazy. That scares me. That's what keeps me up at night. Our information is constantly being stolen and preventing the use of data for the wrong, unintended reasons. So understanding the data is a big part of this. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. Uh, we could discuss this forever, I'm sure. We, I think we both realize that the potential for unlocking humanity's potential is unlimited, but the potential for it to fall into the wrong hands, and not even the wrong hands, but the wrong actors within certain uh, subsets of brands and companies really becomes a challenge. And we also have the unintended consequences of depression and antisocial behaviors and stuff like this. And there are unintended consequences of an always on computing platform that is glued to our face. And that's really young. I mean, there just aren't studies yet. No, we don't know. It'll take a generation for us to get really meaningful insight into some of those. We've only had smartphones for 11 years. Yeah. We were already realizing, oh shit, this is not good for us. Like we need to take a break and turn off our notifications. I actually wrote an article, 11 ways to reduce smartphone related stress because I was researching for myself and my kids and my, my wife were, you know, how do we cut back on the, looking at the phone all the time? And my biggest thing was turning off all the notifications and sounds. I just turned off blanketed everything. And when you have glasses in the future, we're going to be wearing glasses where the whole world is our computer. How do we select for what we want to see, what we don't want to see and when? So I think there's a huge road and I'm kind of glad enterprise is leading this versus diving right into the consumer market. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's for that kind of reason. In a way, it's almost like a controlled environment. So you're not just releasing AR, VR into the wild. Enterprises are actually like finding ways to use it. They're working with IT to secure the information. Even things like hygiene, passing a device from one worker to another. I mean, those are things that are going to be worked out, thankfully, in enterprise first. Yeah. I, I mean, we've been doing demos since 2015 and we've done uh, probably 500 events. So thousands and thousands of people putting on these headsets. And we started off with replaceable covers and all this stuff. And we finally got to the point where for VR and, and AR, we, we use these uh, VR covers that have a, like a leatherette and then we just wipe them with alcohol. And I mean, it has a little bit of a smell to it, but at least, you know, it's clean. <laughs> There's nothing growing on that thing. But yeah, th these are all really interesting challenges that th the big one that was just evident or became evident is the security of the platforms is non-existent. I mean, three of the major uh, collaboration platforms got hacked a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I read that. We need to figure these things out and, and I'm, they're going to figure it out. I mean, this is, this is what technology does. We find a problem, we solve it. So I'm really excited about it. Yeah, we could go on forever, but we're, we're running out of time. So I want to ask you one last question. 
and first of all, thank you so much for, for being on, on the show, Emily. It's been an amazing conversation. What is one problem in the world that you want to see solved using XR technologies? Uh, good question. I want to see XR help women in the workforce. So if XR is the future of training, it's the future of learning, it's potentially the future of our education system, and it has this great potential to democratize information and skills, I would hope it could be leveraged to address inequalities in the workplace. At the same time, I want to see XR companies pay more attention to the user experience for women. I personally find a lot of the VR devices uncomfortable. I'm not alone. I've spoken with many women who work in AR, VR. Mm -hmm. This is the future of training, and I believe it is, and you believe it is. The user experience for women cannot be inferior to that of men. Again, we're talking about wearable technology. It's incredibly intimate. And optics, men and women don't perceive depth the same way. So these kinds of things I'd like to see XR companies pay attention to. And physiological differences, different ways that we perceive depth, that's important. And I haven't seen that brought in yet. It's an interesting point. I believe there's a reason behind that. Most of the technology hardware is designed by men. And I don't know why that is. It just doesn't seem like, it almost seems like they need to hire uh, female designers to finish the product. Like you got the product to working and it's good. Okay. Now let's have somebody with an eye for design and an eye for comfort across both sexes and all sizes. It's a hard problem to solve when you have 95% of the people working on the problem uh, are men. It's, a, it's an issue. You know, I don't, for all the women listening, if you want to get a, an understanding of what this industry is like, go to CES in January and you'll be in a literal sea of men. It's kind of ridiculous, actually. But I, I think it's getting better, and more, more women are, are warming up to tech, and it's slow, but I think we can get there. Yeah, there should be a woman in the room whenever any design decision is made. There should be a woman on the board of every company. Yeah. One yeah. minimum. And if we did that, we would, and we should only have women world leaders because that would eliminate a lot of the ego and bullshit and war. I would love that. Wouldn't that be great? If we just <laughs> made women the leaders of the world, totally. there would be no war. We would cancel all military actions and all military spending and apply that to education and food. And here's to hoping that happens in the future. Definitely. Well, Emily, thank you again so much for, for joining me on this podcast. It's been really, really incredible to learn about brain exchange and to learn about the work that uh, that you're doing and the, the articles that you're writing. And just to remind everybody, if you want to learn more about brain exchange and, and Augmented World Expo, you can visit brainxchange.com uh, and awexr.com. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Being an influencer on LinkedIn in the XR field uh, really has opened up an opportunity for us to not only understand what corporations are looking for in virtual augmented mixed reality and artificial intelligence, but also from the aspect of the startups, studios, developers, and enthusiasts out there and what they need. So what we decided to do after getting hundreds and hundreds of messages is to open up XR Ignite to the entire XR community of startups, studios, individuals, passionate people, and really to build a new community that brings together everybody who's passionate about this technology for a low cost and allow them to contribute, to learn, and to get better across the whole industry. That is really the reason why we started XR Ignite 
to hyper-accelerate the XR for business industry, business and education. And one of the things that we just keep noticing is that there's so many resources out there. There's the VRAR Association, which we're partners with. There are you know reports coming out daily, but there's no one source where people can come together and start just having conversations around how to get better in this industry. And that's why we started XR Ignite. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast, if you're on the corporate side, if you're a startup, if you're an individual, if you're an enthusiast, sign up today at xrignite.com and you'll be getting access to new reports, investor lists, media lists, exclusive content, interviews with our mentors. We have over 56 mentors. And if you're a startup and you pay an annual fee, you'll actually have the opportunity to book a one-on-one, one-hour call with one of the mentors. What we're doing with that is we're actually recording those sessions, we're transcribing them, taking out any personal information, and we're making those transcripts available to all members. So I think XR Ignite is gonna drive a lot of value for anybody in this industry who's looking to up their game, and also for corporates who want a real insight as to what technology is coming out. So I would encourage everybody to sign up at xrignite.com, and I really look forward to driving value, executing on our mission to hyper-accelerate XR for business and education.